Tell the truth. She's been cursed. Christina will help Dean. For me. You can't trust her. Every step to my ascension has been meticulously planned out. Can you remove it? On one condition. Promise me you won't hurt my sister. Just gonna make it this right. I have no idea what you're walking into. Hello, welcome once again to A Travel Guide to Lovecraft Country, the podcast. A podcast on the weekly television show, Lovecraft Country, on HBO, based off an adaption of the, the novel Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. Uh, today is October 13th, and we are here to discuss episode 9, uh, called Rewind 1921, which came out on October 11th, 2020. Um, so I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A., and with me in the state of New York. Hi, this is Mike. Mike, how are you, sir? I'm fine, Phil. How are you? Doing good, doing good. And in the Commonwealth of Virginia? Hey, this is Barrett. Barrett, how's it going? Not too bad. Excellent. And in the state of Missouri? Hi, this is Kevin. Kevin, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. I must say, your your sound quality tonight is, is one of the better ones i got to give you. It's never bad, but this one is, uh, like... Really good tonight. Just an interesting thing. Um, for folks I'm, who are on my phone, that's all. I mean, oh, interesting. Uh, for folks who are curious about who we are, if you're, you know, came here for the first time or found us through the Dark Discussions Network, uh, we are uh, part of the Dark Discussion Network, which is uh, darkdiscussions.com. It is a uh, genre and horror and sci-fi website that basically talks about anything genre. Uh, we have podcasts there. We have articles, reviews, release notices, uh, video reviews, all sorts of stuff. Um, it's growing pretty quick. Folks can uh, go there and check out up to 30 different podcasts as well as uh, new articles every day uh, of some sort that pop up. Um, we are also can be found on Twitter, Dark Discussion One is the a Twitter address that we're using. And we are on Facebook under Dark Discussions Podcast Facebook group. Uh, so you can search there as well. Also, you can listen to any episode of this podcast among all the other network podcasts on darkdiscussions.com. And you can find us pretty much wherever podcasts are found under three different feeds. The first feed is A Travel Guide to Lovecraft Country, the podcast, which is in the top ten uh, on Apple and Stitcher uh, for this this uh, show. So uh, it's actually, I guess, pretty popular. And then you can also find us under the Dark Discussions podcast feed. And then you can find us under the Dark Discussion Dark Discussions Network of Podcast feed. And uh, the difference between all three, the first one, a Lovecraft Country uh, feed, that one will just have this podcast. The second one, Dark Discussions Podcast feed, will have this podcast. But any podcast that your co-host that you hear on this 
podcasts are on as well. So the spinoff podcasts that any of us are on. And then the third one, Dark Discussions Network of Podcasts, has all 25 to 30 different podcasts, which include uh, co-hosts that you do not hear tonight. So uh, a lot of options to listen to us. Um, now, uh, we do have a couple of emails and uh, from uh, one of our listeners, and uh, might as well get into them right now. Um, so this is from Christine Remington Stroh, or Christine Stroh. Uh, she's actually one of the newer num- members of the Dark Discussions podcast um, Facebook group, and uh, she's been very um, active. And uh, she has two emails she sent us through the website itself, because on the website you can go to the Contact Us link and basically type in your message there and it'll go right to our email or you could just email us at darkdiscussions at aol.com which is ever as easy for you and this is what she has to say she goes hi guys after watching episode six and seven last night i am very disappointed in the series i understand going deeper into a character but everyone we have seen on screen is a bit much I had such high hopes for the show after the first episode. Am I happy about the pregnancy story for Letitia? No, no, no. With huge <laughs> Going into episode eight, I am only still watching because of your podcast. I really am enjoying listening to your opinions. Thanks, Christine. And then her follow-up email. She goes, hi, guys. Okay, this is a P.S., to the last letter, as I have now seen all episodes and heard all the podcasts. Wow. Still not sure what is going on and really losing interest in the show. I have to wonder if the people who tuned in because of the Lovecraft connection are still watching. The character and actor I am really invested in at this point is Montrose. Michael Williams is amazing in all he does, and I wish he had better writing behind him. Is it just a girl thing, but really with two dead bodies in the basement, you are feeling like they're, they're, they're feeling like having sex with William? Question mark. Not sure I could get over seeing William's dead body and then, okay, as long as Christina looks like him, I am in. So she's referring to, obviously, Ruby uh, having sex with William <laughs> and discovering those two corpses in the basement. Um, uh, and then she goes, I will finish just so I can listen to your take on the last two episodes. You're making the show more interesting than the showrunners. Thanks again, Christine Stroh. All right. Sounds good. And uh, we do appreciate that. Uh, actually, her... Very uh, much. Yeah, and her, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And her uh, email is actually kind of similar to uh, Trucker Trent, another one of our listeners, um, he, he actually posted similar stuff actually on Facebook though, uh, about the show and his feelings and, and it's almost word for word, uh, well not word for word, but point for point, uh, as Christine is having. So, um, it's definitely, um, a polarizing television show. There's no doubt, no doubt. And as Mike, you've mentioned, uh, there's still a lot of folks that really like it. Critics seem to oh, like I'm, it. I'm, I'm looking at the Rotten Tomatoes score. It's an 87% with uh, critics and 70% with audience. Yeah, wow. there you go. So, <laughs> so, that, so it is uh, getting getting uh, some good reviews. Um, and yet... Uh, the same show? I well, know. if I go to Metacritic, 
Yeah. It is, um, which tends to, which does its ratings a little differently. Um, it has a 79 for, for critics, which is about the same based on 42 reviews. Yeah. And then a 4.4 4. 4. 4 out of 10 for user score. Yeah. See, so there, so there the which is, critical score is a little better than I expected, and the user score is where I would expect it to be. Yep. Me the user too, score, yeah. it says, is 4.4 is mixed or average reviews, because I, you know, that, that that's right in the little bit below middle for uh, user score, and a 79 yeah. for critics. Critics score, I really kind of find, um, well, I don't know, I find higher than it should be. I think, like I said, I think when the show works, it works, but it just... Uh, with one episode left, I think we're they're doing a lot to show that there was a m- whole middle section of this season that was a waste of time. Yeah, the, I mean yeah, the whole Korean totally stuff, agree. Yep. The, yeah, the, the whole Korean stuff is is turned out to be unimportant and um, well, still one episode left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Even though her character suddenly disappeared, which was kind of bizarre since her if her character appearance. doesn't come back in the final episode, then it was a total waste of an episode. Even though I liked the plot of the episode, <laughs> and and I do not want her coming back for you know your kids, Marty. He's come. has got to be done about your kids. I don't want her like doing this last second thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just to hook you into season two because you do yep. not see that much and spend an entire episode killing the momentum. Whatever momentum right. there was to the first have, season for something that is for next for for season two, right? And and here's a character that cro- came literally, and when I say literally, I mean literally from across <laughs> the world to the city of Chicago to appear in someone's house, kitchen for an hour or so, and then being leaving and then just disappearing forever. So yeah, we we do hope. Something happens next week. Otherwise, it yeah. It, I mean, if There's they carry no it over, off at all for that episode, and, other than and something that is one. not. I don't want it to be like she rides in at the last minute to save his life, because you could do that with any of the other characters that were already in the show. Yep, right. But she was the one that saw his death, right? Right. So, so what? I mean, it's sort of oh, like right. the, I agree. So what? Yeah. Um, like tree. All right. Wait and yeah, see. Why did like, he come along? Yeah, why he's just even... gone for no. He was there for no particularly good reason. Yeah, right. The only only thing that came out of that was it made us question whether or not Letitia was a virgin or not because she claimed she had sex with him in high school, and yet the prior episode she said she was a virgin. So that was the only importance of that scene, and that may have just been a comic relief scene, and then he just disappears forever. And yeah, that's a fair point too, Mike. I, I completely forgot about that. Uh, well, anyway, uh, for this episode here, um, <laughs> let's see. And once again, thank you, uh, Christine. Uh, hopefully you'll give us your thoughts uh, next week. Um, this is called, as I said earlier, Rewind 1921. Uh, it was directed by Jeffrey Nachmanoff, Nachmanoff uh, who was uh, the writer of the screenplay for The Day After Tomorrow. Uh, so he is a uh, fairly big Hollywood screenwriter. Uh, but here he directs. And the screenplay was written by Misha Green, the showrunner, Jonathan I. Kidd, and Sonia Winton O'Dampton. Uh, I'm not familiar with Kidd or O'Dampton, but... Uh, is, uh, is, it, is the day after tomorrow something you want to take credit for? Well, <laughs> you, know, you know what? 
it was it was a f- enjoyable enough movie I felt for yeah pop- you know it was no it, great thing but it was fun to watch that was what I felt about it yeah yeah so but I see your point Mike I know it, it gets some back especially as a screenplay I'm just you know well yeah. that's, that's a fair point um, now uh, this. We actually got the ratings from last week, finally, and and this week as well is actually in. And uh, Jigabobo, which was episode 8, got .627 viewers. So 627,000 viewers started it and watched it live or started it as it was live through VOD. Uh, So that was, I think, the the lowest of the, the season. Actually, so last week was the lowest of the season, and then this week uh, was pretty low as well, uh, six hundred and seventy-one thousand. Uh, so it's now dropped out of the seven hundreds into the six hundreds, possibly permanently, because uh, though you never know, people may jump on for the season finale or, or series finale, for that matter. Um, and that's pretty much all I got for the information about it. Uh, so I guess we can get around to discuss uh, what we thought about it and so forth. So um, I guess I'll start um, since I've, I've been the most negative about the show uh, the last eight episodes of the podcast. Um, uh, yeah, this episode here, um, I actually think was really good. Uh, I actually enjoyed myself, at least the the period piece well the whole show is a period piece let me rephrase the time travel part the part at the beginning i cared less about and you know like the exorcism stuff they're kind of scene that they're having where they're trying to save the girl and um that didn't bother that was like i didn't care but once they time travel to the past i felt uh even though mike had some good points offline about cliches and whatnot. And he's absolutely right. And, and Kevin, I mean, Barrett did too about, uh, the contrivance of when the planes fall and who's walking there and all that. It was still, uh, exciting. Um, excellent writing for drama. I felt, um, strong performances. Uh, I was engrossed what was going on. And though there was a, f- a number of nitpicks, like people believing in superstition kind of quickly and hijacking or hot watering a car and things of that nature kind of easily, uh, I still give this episode a thumbs up and it was uh, a solid enough episode. So we will go to Mike. Yeah, this is the show taking all those ugly pieces, well, except for the Korean part. Um, from last several weeks and kind of putting them together um, in a way that pays off. And look, I, I called this an episode, what, three? Yes, maybe, yes, earlier. Like, um, maybe earlier. I feel like it was earlier. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, no, because it was, it, was, it was either three or four when Montrose was napping and Tick woke him up or something like that. And he oh, told the story. Yeah, so it was either episode three, two or three. So it was either episode three or four, and they didn't get Montrose until well, actually, Mike, it could even you may have actually said it in episode two because no, I wasn't it, was, it was episode well, let me, two. Let me tell you why I think you may have done episode two is because they had the dreams of his mother or great grandmother or something 
in the in the mansion, running down the burning hall, and then oh maybe the, I yeah so no, I think it may have been episode but either way Mike you get credit no it was anyway so so some of it was very predictable but I will take predictable and competently done and well executed any day of the week over novel and and ham handed um, and boring. I'll say boring. Uh, so, well, like last week, I didn't think last week was boring, but I think you know, it was such a, you know, there were definitely interesting things last week, but it need, so badly needed to be cleaned up. I mean, we talked about how they should have ended with D being being attacked and like held in Montrose's right. arms. And the guy, whoever put together the uh, last week on Lovecraft Country agrees with us because that's how he ended it was with the D situation and not with, you know, uh, Tick petting the giant Shoggoth. Right, right. Which, you know, so um, they do get all these things coming together, and it does set it in the uh, Tulsa race riots uh, from 1921, which they've been talking about the entire series. It's a little weird because that was a central piece to the um, uh, the Watchmen series that okay, played yeah. in critically there. And so it's getting a lot of play in, in two <laughs> HBO series that are separated by, what, a year? Or two, right? Was, that, right. was Watchmen twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen? I don't remember. Twenty nineteen, yeah, last year. Yeah, it was last. It was twenty nineteen. Okay. Or something. Yeah. So it's just weird that it is, but it's also a thing that I remember when that came out on Watchmen. There, there was a, it was a meme. It was oh, so you you hadn't heard about the Tulsa riots? So anything else you think they didn't tell you about in history class? And it is one of those things that when you look it up is um, important and should get more play and probably doesn't. Um, and it does make you wonder, like, how skewed some of what you, you hear, more so than just by um, what's being omitted. Anyway, and I think really so much of this rides on the back of uh, Michael K. Williams, uh, because he gives a lot of exposition, talking us through everything that happens that day, sort of. Yeah. And does it with tears in his eyes, with terror in his heart. And he sells it. And I think with another actor who maybe wasn't as good, I don't know that the writing was great, but he sells it. He sells it really well. Um, sure, sure. Well, Mike, an excellent point that you brought up was one, one, there's one scene where he's just talking to himself. He's not even, he's talking out loud. No one's there. And, and he still pulls it off because usually if you have a character talking out loud with no one there, even to an animal, they're not, you know, it's nothing there. It's just him looking out a window talking it would be that would bomb if it wasn't a good actor and he and he showed he was an awesome actor in that scene well i mean to, yeah i mean i think all of the actors and actresses in this have been top notch you know it's just that the story is is really needed work but Agreed. i mean it's one of those you've got like it's, yeah you've got top notch oh. actors you've got very good actors it's just you got people and I was actually I was talking about this to somebody the other day is this, I mean, the show it's one of those it, it has a decent story. But the problem is, is that because they are so focused on trying to get a message out, trying to get some sort of statement out that they're sacrificing the storyline to make these statements. And they, you know, and they they, they screwed that up. Now, uh, Mike, uh, uh, before myself and uh, Kevin interjected, uh, you can continue, I guess. 
Oh, sorry, no, that, that, that really is what it, all I needed to say, and then I'll you know let Kevin and um, Barrett give their opinion. All right, well, I mean, Barrett, uh, I mean, uh, Kevin, since you were just uh, bringing some, some good points there, uh, why don't you continue? Uh, your, your thoughts okay. on this episode. Um, you know, this was, this was a very good episode, um, like, like, you know, like the rest of you have been saying. Uh, if they had, honestly, if they had, if they had put, if they had, uh, put this a few episodes ago, um, well, the problem is in the, in the storyline, you really can't do that, but you know, they needed, they needed an episode like this to, to really, to, to really carry it on, to really get it ready to finish. And, um, the, like, like you were saying, uh, I, I think it was, yeah, Mike, as Mike was saying, you know, Montrose, you know, because what I mean, Montrose was needed because he was one of those, okay, he lived through this. Like you actually see him, um, you know, you actually see him as a little boy, you know, going through the stuff that he did. And it's kind of interesting because the way his father treated him was the way he treated Atticus, you know, be, you know, and, um, you know, and you can see him almost, you can, and you can also see Atticus himself kind of see where, you know, where it came from, where his, uh, where his father's behavior came from. And, uh, and let's, and so, and so, but the thing is, is that Montrose was also very good in giving the narrative, you know, he was kind of narrating the story as the narrating the episode as it went along from his perspective. And he I, he just did a fantastic job, you know, and you can just see the regret. You can see him willing to sacrifice his life, you know, to try to bring some sort of meaning to it. Yeah. And he I don't know. I, I just and I have he sells it. Right. Kevin? Yeah, he, he definitely sells it. Um and I, I, I will admit I was wrong because um, I well, at first I thought, like every, a lot of other people, that uh, Atticus was going to go the one going to be the one with a baseball bat saying, I got you, kid. You know, we all pretty much agreed on it. And then I deviated when I saw Atticus holding Lovecraft Country, the book. And I thought, OK, well, maybe maybe his son was the one who went back in time. Uh, no, no, it was in fact Atticus. We'll, we'll get to it later, but it was in fact Atticus. Um, and, uh, which doesn't surprise me either, but I, for some reason was leaning towards Atticus's son, but maybe we'll never see, see him. Sure. Sure. All right. Very good. Very good. Uh, Barrett. Um, I really like this episode. Uh, Michael K. Williams is amazing in this episode. My problem with it is that this episode, I feel like should have been like midway through the season so that we could get closer to the characters, get the feeling that I got from this episode that would bring me closer to the characters and like them more. Um, It it just felt like it should have been mid season and that there should have been a lot after this. It's hard for me to think that there's only one more episode left. And I'm just really, really getting to know these characters now. Um, but the episode on its own, it holds up very well. The acting is incredible. Um, and in this particular case, it was, it, you know, seeing the race riots and all of that was 
Um, it did not detract from the storyline, the way it was told or anything. Um, I thought it was really well done. Um, so all of that was really good. I just have a hard time that this episode was second from the last. So, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that too. Uh, like they should have put this, you know, like two, two episodes ago, or at least the, you know, going back in time. But the problem is you had to, I mean, you had to, you had to move a lot of stuff back, like, you know, the Lancaster doing the thing with the girl and, um, I think they could have combined the last two episodes together and, you know, kind of pared it down. So there was more after this. I I was going to say that, you know, me as well as you, Barrett, as well as you, Kevin, did a Halloween boutique psychotronic reviews episode. And for folks who don't know what that is, that's one of the the other podcasts on the dark discussions network. And we did a show on called vampires and that was only six episodes. And they did a really good job in that. And that's a French television show here. Like you guys are just saying, they could have removed like three or four earlier episodes or even chunks of other episodes. And they could have had this as a six episode season and we would be better off probably because totally agree. Yeah. The the episode three, right. The, not episode. Well, actually episode three, they could have kind of gotten rid of it because really what role is the house played? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. um, Well, the thing is, though, is that the house, believe it or not, the house was in the book. No, I get that. I'm just saying, but in the in the grand scheme of things, it really didn't do much. That storyline went nowhere. You know, they gave us this this episode four. The whole thing with the indigenous transsexual. Yeah, nowhere. Indiana Jones episode. Yeah, we didn't need that. Right, that really went nowhere. The whole uh, the well, the only thing that it did. And they could have easily done it on their own. Was uh, Hippolyta finding? Yeah, the the, the solar system thing. The, the, well, the solar system finding the, the comic book thing. Well, yeah, the, the whole that it basically kickstarts her journey to find out what happened to to George. That right. could have been done without a trip there, right? Right, without everybody else going. Right. They gave us a magic tunnel that could take them anywhere, and never did anything <laughs> with it. Yeah. Right. Or at least in theory, could have taken them anywhere. I don't know. They could have combined Ruby's and Hippolyta's episode together and shortened both of their stories a little bit and had a good yeah. episode. Um, <laughs> I mean, you had to do Hippolyta's episode given where she you ends had up. to. Yep. Um, and because that is important, and I'm, and again, I like the second half of that episode, but uh, I know I'm I'm alone on the podcast on that one. I think um, the whole Korean episode again. We'd still have one more episode to go. The Korean episode seemed like a complete waste of time. Yep. So you can at least have knocked this down, if not to six episodes, to eight. I think, you know, with, with removing a couple of episodes just almost wholly out of the out of the series. Yeah. But anyway, but that's... Right. Well, even, even Hippo... I can't say the Greek word. Hippolyta. Uh, Hippolyta, thank you. Um, her... her episode they could have cut that in half right because, oh yeah i mean it was I only mean, a half that, an episode was her part was only half an episode well it could have been yeah. 15 minutes and i'd have gotten yeah. the point yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um so yeah I, i'm just saying you know another example is they could chop off 15 minutes there they could get rid of an entire episode three you know as you were saying mike and you know so you so technically it's it's the same thing we're talking about um, also, um, I have to say another thing about this show is 
the thing that saves the show, uh, whether you like the show or not, and I, I really don't like the entire season, um, the thing that saves it and gives it value is the acting. All yep. the actors in this are incredible. Uh, they're really good finds. Some of them will, will break out because they have charisma, you know, like Smollett, you know, and, and the guy that plays Atticus could break out. Williams is already a, a pretty damn good character a- actor as well as the, the guy that plays George. And and maybe Ruby's character and Hippa, how, how do you say it again there? Hippolyta. Hippolyta. You know, those actresses may be able to do something as, as character actresses too. Um, so, so the acting, I in my opinion, is is the saving grace because the screenwriting is generally average at best. Uh, the directing is fine, but again, how how good can a director do when the material isn't that good? And you know, this the cinematographer and all that stuff. You know, you know, I mean, the computer CGI has been very mixed, um, and editing's fine generally. So uh, no, but, the editing I think is a problem. Well, yeah, yeah. where a lot of the story stuff comes in. Right. And yeah, like yeah, it's, it's TV, so it's really hard to say, you know, directors have full have a lot more sway in movies than they do in TV. TV directors come in for hire, generally speaking, where the editors kind of stay. So the editors often have a lot more sway than over the course yeah. of a series. And when you're seeing problems with the, with, with the choppiness in the storytelling, yeah, that's true. that could that that might be that may be writing and it might be editing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I really probably say it goes it probably falls on the showrunner, you know, who oversees all of it. Hence the yeah, reason they call showrunner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, a great, great showrunner is like Frank Darabont. You know, he gets canned for Walking Dead, and the reason for that is is because of disagreements, not because of incompetence necessarily. And so, yeah, I mean, his second series didn't exactly take off either. So that, that, there, there are there are yeah. mixed stories about what happened with Darabont. Darabont, you know, is very much a great film director. A lot of debate because directing Chris film and and uh, TV are two very different creatures, and yeah, there are yeah. different different viewpoints to, from people that were there. And I am not taking a position on it because I have no idea. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I mean that, that's fair. I know like certain actors like uh, oh, I forget the guy's name. Uh, he basically, had his character killed off because he didn't want to work without anybody but Daramont. Um, uh, he was also in the original movie The Mist. I forget his name. Uh, well, it doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's it's it is what it is. But but yeah, either way, um, you, you have to go with the showrunner. I mean, the buck always stops with the top person, um, no matter what. So even if you have all these other people who are incompetent, and I'm not saying they are in the show. I'm just saying, just in general, if you have people that are incompetent, it always falls to the as Terry Truman says, the buck stops here, meaning the the, the boss, and the boss is the showrunner. Um, even though individuals can take responsibility and be blamed as well. Um, all right. Uh, any other general information we want to talk about before we get into the specifics of this episode? Anything else about um, Lovecraft Country in general? Anyone? All right. I guess we can get into uh, our topic tonight. So uh, for folks who are listening to this, obviously you folks are... Uh, are uh, listening to this podcast because you've probably watched the show, you're a fan of the show, or at least interested in the show, even if you're not a fan of the show. And so you're here to 
here are points, so you're most likely not worried about spoilers uh, and whatnot. Um, so we will spoil and talk about everything, anything related to this episode among any tie-ins to the prior eight episodes. Um, now, Mike, uh, what's this episode called? Penultimate? Is that the word? Penultimate? Uh, penultimate. Penultimate. The episode right. so before the last episode. Right, right. So, similar to Game of Thrones, uh, the penultimate episode is actually pretty solid uh, compared to the rest of the s- series, or at least the most actiony, or, or the most interesting, or the most compelling, I guess. Um, so that was kind of interesting to see that, because now I'm wondering if the season finale will be a letdown, or will it be strong, like Game of Thrones ones are usually strong, but but not necessarily as amazing as the penultimate episode. Well, it, the, the, the final episode... Game of Thrones has always been an aftermath story. It has always been that culminates in and builds to a head to, to episode nine. And then the aftermath of that was usually episode 10 and starting to set up the following season here. It's still building towards the thing that they've been talking about the entire time, which is the book of Adam, the spell and sacrificing tick. Yep. Right. And that is all what they have to resolve next week so that so there so there so they didn't finish anything this week right they didn't even cure d this week right they just got the book over right right so they still have a lot left to do and which is good they have momentum to carry them through the question is how do they handle christina yeah (laughs) right how do they handle all this you know how do they handle the other loose threads if at all do they bring any of it back do right. they try setting up a season two or is this going to be it? Because they've been mum up till this point yeah. as to whether or not there will be another season. You, you know, it's, what's curious uh, was, uh, and again, these may be just be nitpicks, but, but I mean, the, the girl, uh, George's daughter, what, what's her name again? D. D. Yeah. D or Diana. That's right. I always call her Diana. That's why I was confused when you were saying D. Um, she, I mean, to see what happens to her now compared to the ending of last episode or, or the ending of her scene from the last episode to see that she's like deteriorating like a corpse that that was kind of surprise like confusing me um also the the last scene of the episode where the monster the shargoth destroys all the cops everybody dies except, or, or most of the cops die maybe some escape and it just ends because we never find out what happens to the shargoth we never find out if people even saw the shargoth so I, I I was confused about that because there's another scene where we have this big ending, and then the next scene is it's it's like it's just past. Yeah, and we're then, we're forward a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I got the sense that well, first of all, the Shagas only come out at night, and we were yeah. past that. Um, so they've already kind of established that. Um, they were very unclear as to what the deal was with the spell that got the Shagat there to protect him. If it was a temporary thing. Or is this a long-term deal? Does he have well, like a also, permanent Shagat bodyguard now? Also, Mike, it, it, it's but 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 where they they didn't continue at that moment. So it's like you're right, the shark. But it was like what happens between that moment and the next morning? You know, because that's a big moment. So it doesn't really. Know? First, first of all, these guys seem to be well aware of what's going on. In terms of uh, the organization, 
the Brotherhood and so forth. Okay. Yeah. And the magic. So it, it really doesn't surprise me. And we already saw, by the way, from the first two episodes that people forget. Yeah. Right. That they, they had that as a story plot that, that everybody except for take had forgotten what had happened the night before. Yeah. Alright. So I mean, so that's it, kind of so that's kind of dealt with there, and this was already so full, I don't think they needed to waste any time on that. Well, Barrett had a good point though, which is I think it was you, Barrett, that said, is is the Shargoth now his familiar that can come at any point? I mean, we don't learn anything about it, you know. I mean it just disappeared. So But I put that a, more on the fault of the previous episode because I don't think they established that well yeah, as to right. what that spell was. Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Um, anyone else have comments on that? Uh, Barrett or, or Kevin? Nope. I do right. like that they um, dealt with the police captain. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they yeah, and it was that, kind of short though. <laughs> it was <laughs> short, but they told us what we needed to know, which was that yeah, he's been taking bodies of black men and using them to heal himself to survive yeah right yeah. so that basically explains that one little scene that we saw i don't know why they did it it obviously is a very small story point that was my first when they said very early in the episode that he was dead i said well i guess we're never going to get the answer to that mystery All right and then you know a few minutes later they do i don't know why his nipples were exploding but <laughs> Um, you know, the idea that, you know, whatever his bite from the vampire, he's, he's not going to be able to survive that, which again, right. is going back to that very first episode. Right, right, right. I mean, I'll, to be honest, that whole story about that cop felt like a, a whole storyline that could have been removed from the entire show as well. And I, w I wouldn't have missed it because, but I don't think it, took up a lot of time That's it was there he was there as an obstacle i don't mind that you had that him doing his own little things sort of in the background because i think that adds some layers and depth to that world and another never villain on it hmm? and another and villain another as villain. well was another yeah. villain um i think that it was more like the the thing with d we saw her arm rotting away when she was touched last week you know, and yeah. then this week she's got for like a minute or two, she's got the whole um, topsy face yeah, going that's on. Right. So I guess that's what the curse is somehow. Yeah. You know, at least, yeah. at least that gave me something a little I, more concrete. Sorry, I, I just kind of found it weird. She was turning into the character, into those monsters that were chasing after her, thinking, "All right, that's that's different." Wasn't expecting that. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't either. Uh, and honestly, I, I, I don't. I mean, again, you know, you have to have a suspension of disbelief, and this is a nitpick too. But you know, like the cop and all these other things that are there in Chicago, were they always there, or did they just start appearing after Tick goes on his adventure to find his mantras? In you, theory, you know, they've yeah. always been there. Yeah, because right. they, and, they and talk it, about that chapter of the of the organization of the Brotherhood of Adam. Yeah, all right. You know, and they talk <laughs> about it as if it's been there for a while. 
Yeah. It just felt yeah. like, a little I mean, coincidental. Go I mean, well, in well, a mystical I, world, coincidences happen. Well, I mean, in this case, I mean, we first see Lancaster when Letty gets arrested for that because she moved into that house. Now, she moved into that house because she got the money from Christina. So Christina right. put her into that, you know, and so when the black people came in, you know, when Letty and, and Ruby, at least for the time, uh, moved into the house, you know, they kind of figure, you know, the police, you know, obviously, you know, they were bigots and all that. But the thing is, is that later on, you know, it was we, we meet we meet Lancaster at this time. And then, late, you know, we see him later on, you know, as a um, essentially as, a, as an art as a rival to Christina, um, which also I just kind of wanted to point out that when he was about when he was falling apart for the last time, Lancaster was falling apart for the last time, you know, and William steps in, you know, first of all, the other police officers look at him pretty much saying, you know, I thought you were dead. Uh, I don't know if they were, I, I mean, obviously those, those police officers were part of the brotherhood of Adam or sons of Adam or whatever you, I forgot what their name is, but the, uh, the interesting thing is, is that Lancaster looks at, William and I say that in quotes and calls and says Christine. So it's like he knew that this was Christine in William's body. I mean, he actually calls out Christine by name, you know. And then William just, you know, comes in and takes the the, the magical bug that he put that he had Ruby put in there, you know, and kind of just watches him die. That's kind of the end of of Lancaster, which I I thought he was going to at least last until the last episode, but doesn't appear that way. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this "quote unquote" villain? Well, not take no. I don't. Part. I don't think he was. He was. He he is a fairly disposable bad police chief kind of corrupt cop. Right. Um. I don't think they did as much with him as maybe they could have, but I don't know that there was a lot of room to do more with him. Um, I was thinking that, you know, part of the reason that the whole organization could even be there is because they're looking for the book and they know the family. Right. Relocated there. Yeah. So that could be why it's not maybe as much of a coincidence as it seems. Or it could just be that they're drawn to certain places of power again. It's all very mystical stuff. That is kind of um, explainable under the rules of magic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot left with him. Oh, I don't think there is. A, yeah. yeah, he was he was always a yeah. very red B or C level character. Yeah, I'm yeah. not and surprised they cut out his story at this point because the next yeah. episode is going to detail the major stuff, which I don't think he was really a part of right right, right. yeah so, so they, his demise they, they, is kind of predicated on the next episode <laughs> you know christina's getting all what she wants right right yeah all right um all right uh we don't have to go you know story plot to story plot you know because that would just be like someone watching it the show but uh we can talk about anything anybody wants to bring up any scenes uh it can we can go in order it doesn't really matter just just throwing that option out that we're here to discuss and critique certain parts of this thing rather than just rehash what we saw on tv uh well, i wanted to say 
Yeah, yeah I wanted it. to say that I really like the dynamic between Atticus and Montrose. I think, again, that was one of the better parts of an episode. Um, they work really well together, and it's it's really well done, their relationship. I, 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 think. I mean, there I definitely, have one. They're, they're depths are, it's just they're definitely, it, there's definitely a, like, Tick has a real tough time, because one minute he's like, I don't want to have anything to do with you. The next minute he's like, I, you know trying to make almost like trying to make amends or something like that it's it it's been kind it was kind of weird that's uh, what i was going to say kevin I, uh, if i could if i could follow up with your point which yeah, is please, that was the the problem i had with their story is the ticks like black or gray i mean black or white feeling of montrose and 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 you can <laughs> yeah. understand those things happening but but i felt it was was the weaker part of the story. I, I liked it better when he would just get upset with his father and grumble, grumble, but not be like the typical cliche, which is, I'm never going to talk to you again, you know, that you see in a lot of Hollywood films about parents and kids and stuff. Well, he did say that, but he did. Um, yeah, and I, that I didn't like, but I think their relationship in general, I really enjoy in the show. Well, I like the fact, I think, I personally felt that the actor, uh, Tick Atticus, carried a lot of this through his expression. I don't think they, they spoke a lot of it. I think you yeah. have to watch the look on his face as he's going through everything and he's listening to his father. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all old enough. Um, I lost my father a little over a year ago. Um, you know, and before that, I, you know, saw him get sick. You know, I know what it was like, you know, when you're a young man and whether you have a I think they had a good father, but whether you have a good father or a bad father. And the reality is your or mother, whoever your parent is, there is a certain level of pedestal putting. Right. You know, they are not human. They are not people making their way through the day to day. They are supposed to be the infallible people in charge of your life. Um, they are they are more than human. They are mom. They are dad. Um, and if you live long enough, you do see age hit them. And some people don't have to live that long to see illness hit them and they become humanized. In this case, I don't know that you can humanize Montrose any more in his son's eyes than to see him getting beaten by his own father yep. and, and beaten badly. And I don't know how badly he tick got beaten when he was little, um, as you know, as opposed to. Um, what Montrose got, which was his ass whooping out on Main Street, uh, for everyone to see. So I don't know if, if Montrose was as bad, worse, or not as bad. Had to pick his um, own switch. Had to pick his own switch. <laughs> right. Had to pick. Well, I've heard that. that Off that, the tree. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that that phrase before. So I don't. So it's not exactly yeah. unique. Um. Oh, it's on Tom Sawyer. Right, and then he, then you couple that with. Um, him seeing what happens to Thomas and his reaction to Thomas and his, his you know, because even what he's saying, you know, Montrose, and this goes back to Montrose, where Montrose desperately wants to save the boy and can't. Even in his words, he sounds like he's not, he's going there. And again, I did rewatch it, you know, you know, take the last thing that says, Tick says, you know, you better be sure before he saves him. And he doesn't. So he's so he wants to. He understands he desperately wants to, but he's not sure. Um, 
And I don't have a problem with him. Like I said, I was going to have a problem if Tick found out his father was gay and just immediately like embraced him. So now I understand, you know, because that would not have been the attitude at the time. You know, now he's had some time to sort of process this, this and see this a little differently and adjust that. So now I find it a little better to, you know, let that kind of go under the bridge and see his father in a different light and his father telling him, all this stuff his father's saying, I gave up so much because all I wanted to be was your dad. You know, and that was all that mattered to me. Yeah. And he sees him give up this boy that he loved this friend of his and let him die, even knowing he's never going to get him back. You know, he still lets him die. And the reason he does it is for tick. Um, and I think all seeing all of that and they don't speak it. I think that's all done through the action on the screen and through the expression in ticks face. And I think in in the actor's face, I think a lot of that really works there and he sells it. And I think he's being kind of emotionally torn apart because there is this man that he's angry at, and he exactly says the thing that I, you know, you know, spent my whole life wishing Uncle George was my father. And you're telling me he really was, you know, fuck you, motherfucker. Right. That's basically what he says to him. <laughs> um, right. And you can certainly understand that outrage at that moment. But then everything changes and you can understand. I, I think I can understand it going the other way. I don't think it's going to be smooth sailing if there is another season. I don't think it should be smooth sailing from here on out. I don't think they should be Andy Griffith and Opie. Right. Well, well, I'll say this. I, I mean, the, you know, uh, Tick does finally t- step back and says, "You know what, Dad? Basically, basically, I'm, I'm uh, paraphrasing, uh, or um, um, multi. I'll just say paraphrasing. Um, um, but either way, uh, he says, Dad, you know, go ahead and, and save the boy, even though in his he knows that there's a chance that his future, assuming time changes because of differences that happen in a d- different reality he could not exist anymore uh he lets montrose go and yet montrose doesn't go because what montrose just said to him that you're you're referring to mike is true which is you're my son and, and that was the greatest you know thing basically you know a lot of people say that the greatest thing is is being a parent or you know and and so he doesn't go and save the boy. Now, let me ask you this. You brought a good point up, Mike. So is it true that Montrose is not the biological father and it's actually George? Hell if I know. They, yeah, they, don't have know. DNA, they, they didn't have DNA tests back then. They didn't really know what DNA was back in 1955. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, and, and, and actually, I wonder if you could even tell because if you're two brothers, you know, I mean, there must be different markers, but I don't know. But either way, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So it's alluded to anyway, and makes makes their relationship a little more confusing, I guess. Um, but in the end, um, Montrose's story of the importance of tick and being the father of tick is enough to make tick sacrifice himself for his father. And then his father not taking it and refusing to help the, I think the boy's name is Jack from his childhood because Thomas, Thomas. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, because he rather not change the future because if he did, he would lose 
his son or, or, or what he feels is one of the most important meanings of his, in his life. So it was a, a very good moment between the, the two actors. Um, and, and like you said, Mike, uh, a lot of it was emoted through expressions by some of the characters as well. So it wasn't just what they said too. And this is where you came in, Kevin, talking about the, the baseball bat thing and um originally you thought it was going to be tick and sure enough it was tick and it was interesting i i mean i it, it didn't i it surprised me uh, i gotta give it even though i should have known that this was scene was going to happen it was still a, a cool scene it's like oh this is cool and, and it ties back an earlier thing that we, we saw in one of the earlier episodes well and it's neat because they realize that he can get involved because because of that, you know, that they, they realized it was him that did it. So he could just yeah. go over there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just coincident that he finds the baseball bat on the ground in front of him. But, right. But yeah, generally, yeah. I mean, that was a little silly. But, but generally, yeah, it was kind of cool when they both realized that it was Tick. Tick realizes, oh, my God, that was me. And then Montrose says, oh, it was you. And so I thought that was pretty cool. And and so what they did actually changes the future that they've already partly lived, which is kind of interesting too. So that that was a kind of well. Do they change the future, or is it just what was supposed to happen anyway? That's that's the problem with time travel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm saying it, it probably was changed because. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah well. Exactly. But they also introduced. Um, well, there's, that's why they have multiple, multiple time, time. right? Multiple universes. Yeah, but anyway, continue, Mike. That's what I was going to say. Is that they already introduced the possibility of multiple timelines? Right. Yeah, well, that's the word I was looking for. Timelines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they were already in the the same timeline, anyway. But right, in a different timeline. Uh, Tick never came, and Baby George got wiped out as well. But and and Montrose gets wiped out, right? Because George comes and he gets taken out by the the white guys too. And then it's when Tick arrives that takes out all the white guys and the one woman and girl. Yeah. <laughs> oh right, yeah. I forgot about the woman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't hold back mercy on her though. He definitely hits her a few times with the bat as well. Well, she doesn't. And, and, there you go. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I hate saying white guys and black guys, but you know, but that's that's what the show wants us to to see. So, and and I guess you know, so that's the only well, reason. Well, that's why. pretty much what it's about. I mean. Yeah. 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 Exactly. This was this was uh, um, two different. Ethnic groups, and 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 one of them was out to kill the other. So yeah, yeah. Um, all right, where do we want to go next? Well, um, I want to point out. I think there was another thing. Right. So the 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 Tulsa, and I'm, as I'm reading up on it, depending on who you use as a source, they're either referred to as race riots or, or massacre. Um. But that's also a reason why I think it makes perfect sense for uh, 
Montrose would have been so reluctant to go through the portal in the first place. He's already lived through this once. Yeah. And it was a, and it was a horrific experience, depending on yeah, the official number is something like 35 people died officially, but unofficially it's estimated anywhere from 75 to 300. Yeah. Um, you know, and this was the wealthiest black community in the United States at the time. It was considered the black wall street. Um, it was specifically set up as a, as sort of a refuge, as a place for people to start their own businesses and to congregate there. And that's, Part of why the the riots happened in the first place was, um, you know, where where white people were kind of reacting to that. Um, yeah, it's similar to um, any minority that does very well. You know, a good example of that is is the Jewish ghettos and um, the you know Czech Republic and Poland and, and Germany back uh, in the eighteen nineteen early nineteen hundreds, where a lot of them were doing really good. And, of course, you have uh, the majority of folk who feel um, anger or whatnot. And, you know, it's an easy target to uh, get angry at a minority group for doing well. And in this case, they're doing really well. It's not a ghetto. And and when I say ghetto in in the second terminology, ghetto is in poor and, and... uh, crime-ridden. Um, and so if you have a lot of white folk back in that day who were racist and also jealous or angry or, you know, the the old racist term, uppity, that they used to say, they decide to group together and, and do horrible things. And it's amazing, too, the, the horrible things, because, at, at you know, at, people kill people all the time and the easiest way to kill the people, I'm assuming, based off of you know what I've read and stuff, is to dehumanize those that you kill. Because if unless you're a sociopath, then it doesn't even matter. Let's assume you're not a sociopath, and you look at your enemy or someone that you want to have as your enemy as not human, and so it's easy to kill people that way. And you figure a lot of the folk who did the massacres especially in 1921 and especially in uh, central United States were Christian folk, you know, went to church every, every Sunday. And yet they had no issues doing these terrible and horrible, horrible things that could damn their souls to hell. Assuming you, you, you believe that. And, and a lot of those folks probably did in 1921 that went to church, but they somehow, didn't consider any of that and you know the seven deadly sins and then the ten commandments all fall upon them because you know they're jealous they're envy and then of course they they murder and they covet things that they see this wall street community as you called it mike as as it was known the the, the black wall street and do all those horrible things and yet they, you know, a month later, they're sleeping well at night. It's it's just amazing. It's, you know, and it's not war. Even though they looked at the enemy as the enemy, they weren't, they, it just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's just disgusting. 
I oh, think we have Kevin, a mutual friend you. that would speak to that um, by the name of Eric Webster. Um, what's that thing yeah. you like to say every, every now and again? Human yeah, suck. Eric. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's well, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I was reading a book about <clears throat> a lot of this and just how, and it, I mean, it's from a Christian perspective, but it's essentially how the church screwed up big time. I mean, then that's, that's an understatement where you would think, okay, maybe they were compliant, but they weren't compliant. They were actually participant, uh, participating in it. I mean, at one point they said that there was a, there was a, they had, I mean, in this book, I mean, it said there were, there were thousands of actual pastors who were members of, of the KKK, you know, and I'm just, and I'm reading through a lot of this and I'm thinking to myself, how could they, you know, really do this? And the problem is, is that the book never really, never really explains why, you know, I mean, there were, there, there are, I mean, with, with slavery, there, there was, you know, there are parts in the Bible where there is slavery, but it's never encouraged. It's just, okay, if there's slavery, then this. I mean, there's even parts in the Old Testament they said, look, um, the only time slavery was even permitted was if it was an enemy sol- if it was an enemy soldier who invaded your land, you know. And then after that, if the, if the slave um, can, you know, pretty much became a believer in the Israeli God, they would go, they would have to, they would have to be set free. I mean, it was law. It was God's law saying, you know, set them free. Um, other than that, really slaves were, well, you know, not permitted, but that, I mean, I'm kind of going to that, but then my, my, um, what you cut my, my point is, is that they're really, I, I don't know why they allowed I, or even participated in this racism. I don't. I don't know. I honestly they weren't good people. But, yeah, there's lots well, of not good people out there. No, I mean I'm just saying though. Yeah. But the fact I mean, we, we see this was this was a, use religion. This, but they were using religion. They were using their religion to kind of justify it. When you know, I don't. I don't know. I just like I said, I'm having a. Sure. I don't know. Well, I don't. Really I don't know that many people take their beliefs as seriously as some people, as maybe you do. They don't necessarily examine their faith. It's a thing that they do culturally. As, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's true. That they lack self-awareness sometimes that nobody ever wants to think of themselves um, outside of a hip teenager as the villain. You know, they that we all think we are on the right side. And pretty much that means if I'm on the right side, then God is going to be with me. And it's a matter of getting um, your priorities backwards. Right. Instead of of God's going to be with me as opposed to me being with God. If um, You know, and, and I always think of. Um, well, one of the thing I always tell my students is that everybody lies, but the person we lie to the most is ourselves. You know, we we would do anything to rationalize and justify our own behavior if it gets us what we want. Um, and being and you have to know that <laughs> to to fight against it, um, to try to guard against it. And many people don't seem to. But the other thing is, I, I always remember the chapter in um, C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters. Um, where the demon is writing to his uncle and saying that 
he's looking for advice on how to, to corrupt a mortal soul, and he, he's despondent because the mortal he's been assigned to has started to attend church, and he thinks that he's lost him forever, and the uncle just says, no, 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 you've got him right where you want him. And, you know, tells him, well, now you just have to have him notice how he's better dressed than everybody else in the church. And he prays a little louder, and he donates a little more, you know, and 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 sort of stoke that ego and stoke that pride. You know, it's the religion is in the end going to be what a person does with it as much as it is anything else. And it can be just as corrupting if all you're doing is following the ceremony and following the ritual. Right. Well, any even even honestly, um, as we know, the um, preachers or priests or clerics or rabbis or whatever are all just people, and maybe a lot of them are worthy to be quote unquote uh, leaders in a religious community, but. Unfortunately, that's not always the case, and, and we see it every day. Um, you know, like like uh, I remember after the U.S. Um, uh, well, it's the U.S. in the Iraq War, which was 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 not necessarily a good thing. But either way, there, there was a priest, not a priest, a cleric there that was talking about we should kill all the Kurds and kill all the, the you know infidels and all that. And, and I and this was like confused me even as an adult where a, a person of faith, even if it wasn't a Christian faith, it's still, it still um, a faith. Um, it was saying, you know, kill. And, and it just was completely confusing. And you see, you see it all over. And uh, unfortunately it doesn't necessarily mean you're a God fearing person, whether you go to church, as you said, Mike, or even as I just mentioned, if you are, a leader in the church and there, there's the people there's, with, sorry. Yeah. no please uh, go, ahead. go ahead i'm sorry it's just there's also some people will and i'm just thinking about it as you were talking i mean i was listening to you and thinking about it because also that some people don't they do what they're told but they don't really think about it for themselves i mean it's, I mean, for, I mean, I, you know, I would read the Bible and sometimes I would come to a conclusion that, you know, did doesn't exactly match, you know, what a lot of other people will, will, will view or say. And, and that happens in, in Christianity yeah. a lot. I mean, on some, in some areas there's, there's, there are gray areas and all that. But the thing is, is that there are a lot of people who, and maybe, and like you said, and Mike was saying, is that a lot of times church was more of a cultural thing rather than yeah. an actual personal spiritual thing. And the, yeah. and the thing is, is that there there comes times where you may, I mean, people may do things, they may do things that they think God wants them to do, but they don't check out the Bible for themselves. They just say, well, if the pastor said it, you know, and right. well, that must be okay. You know, where I mean, I have gotten in trouble with churches in the past, churches I've been to in the past because the pastor would say something and I didn't agree. You know, or like, the, right. you know, a lot of people thought some one thing about some a certain issue 
and I started looking at it from a different perspective and looking at it's like, well, actually, that's actually not what it says. Or, you know, I, I, I started looking at it kind of like with a critical thinking and yeah. I got I, I I got myself into trouble a couple times, but not, I mean nothing serious. But I mean I think it's just when you have people though who are you know it's they they right. don't. I mean, for example, if you say you're a Christian, you got to look at what the Bible actually says and not what the pastor tells you it says. Sometimes you got to figure it out right. for yourself and really look at it for yourself and. Um, I mean, I know that this isn't supposed to be a religious podcast, but I'll, I'll, I'll well, what, what, well, no, that's fine. That, that was good, good points. And I, I want to use another analogy of the, the whole situation, which is, um, to make your enemy less human, you call them terrible things. So, mm-hmm. you know, when the, the, the Nazis and, and the racists in, in Eastern Europe would call the Jewish folk, I don't know, um, you know, the, the terrible cartoons of Jewish folk, or, or they called them rats, or, you know, just terrible stuff. And then, you know, yeah. you do that with the, the white community, did that with the African-American community. And now it's it's political. You know, you have people like Keith Oberman coming huh. out calling well, entire entire group of people maggots, you know. And, and that when he said that, I like was like horrified because it reminded me of the Nazis, what they did to calling their political enemies as well, well as that's happening on both enemies. sides here so yeah well, well right 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 but i'm just using an example that that is huge right now in, in the news and and so you animalize or, or dehumanize a, a, a person you don't like or people you don't like for whatever reason you know in, in oberman's case it's because you don't believe how he thinks you know in in the black folk or the jewish folk it's because they're minorities and you they're different or whatever it's so yeah go on Mike. well but i mean that's kind of the point of this right of the this all stems from you know and you know this isn't a woke perspective that or that slavery is the original sin of the united states you know that's the original sin of the americas it's not just the united states there were plenty of other countries in the americas that slavery as well um and it all goes back to that and that is literally not treating you you know recognizing human beings as human beings you are wrecking you're treating them as property and the idea of racism as we understand it is a relatively modern perspective there has always been cultural biases there's always been you know whatever culture you belong to you're the best you're always the best you know and the others are no good, and you always hate whoever. And, your and it doesn't are even have to be culture. It could be, it could be, it could be race. It could be religion. It could be political persuasion. It could be anything. So yeah, continue, Mike. But 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 to... the racial stuff, the yeah. really dividing black white, um, was a lot done specifically to justify the slave trade, and yeah. to just say that they're subhuman. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, I remember I mean, there was another one of the earlier episodes of the show, you know, Tick was was eating and this was actually in the book, too, where Tick was eating a banana and he really didn't think. Oh, about yeah. It until the one guy was making him look like a monkey, you know, yeah. and I'm also thinking to myself, I mean, and I mean, I'm not. Dehumanizing it because, I mean, I remember when I was in college and I read in books about various um 
scientific worldviews, okay, that, um, and I think this is kind of a, it was partially eugenics. It was kind of a using evolution to, um, to, you know, that wasn't saying social evolution, but like using evolution to justify, essentially justify racism. And, you I know, think like that was the, the Herbert Spencer and social Darwinism, I think. Yeah, I mean, what they were saying was, is like whites are the, the, the top of the top of the evolutionary ladder, if you will. Then the Asians, you know, and the blacks and the Jews were barely human, you know, and so they would, you know, they would. Well, and that's weird because because Jews generally are Caucasian and and white anyway. So well, the, that, the, the it, problem it's not even a race. Well, it's, no, but the thing is, is that the thing is, is that at the time. Well, anti-Semitism has been around for no, no, but, but no, I understand all that. I meant with your, your this book but, that you're talking about. Why would they include Jews as inferior as because they're Caucasians? But they wouldn't have been viewed that way because they were anti-Semitic. So that destroys his whole argument because he suddenly throws in uh, ethnicity or race, depending on or, I mean ethnicity or religion, depending on how you want to look at Judaism. Well, it's, it, it's it, it, when it, it has it's, nothing to do with race. It's, well, it's, you're trying to make sense of insanity. Trying to make sense of bigotry, which makes absolutely yeah. no logical sense whatsoever. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so my, my point is, is that, you know, it's, you know, you're, you're taught that, you know, with, I mean, I'm trying to trying to formulate all this right. You're being taught in a way that some of the, like certain groups of people are not as evolved as you. So therefore, you know, they are, you are more human than they like you say, you, they're dehumanizing them, you know, and that's and I mean, and I'm not and I'm not saying this is what evolution. I mean, I'm not I'm not bashing. You know, the teaching of, you know, I'm not bashing, you know, that the, you know, teaching evolution and all that sort of thing on that point. I'm just saying that people would use. Yeah, they bastardize a legitimate like, science. Like evolution. They would use something like evolution to further something that they already believed. I, I would recommend if anyone. Humans. <laughs> yeah, not not to, not to stop the topic because, you know, we we're going kind of deep in the weeds on this. Yeah. Um, but just if anybody's actually interested in that argument, there is a book called um, The Mismeasure of Man by Stephen Jay Gould. It's I read it when I was in college, but it's uh, so it's been around for a while. But it does talk a lot about <clears throat> the scientific fallacies that kind of sprung up after Darwin and um, ev- the idea of evolution and how it was misused to justify racism. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and that's the thing. It's it's like the earlier example of religion, how religion is used wrongly as well. Here, it's science, right? And 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 it's just ridiculous. It's well, and and to get back to the episode itself, a lot yeah, of really. what starts, what a lot of what starts, yeah, starts in racism and everything else, but then you, it turns into a riot, and mobs are interesting creatures. <laughs> Not everyone that was probably part of those mobs necessarily had the same beliefs. They just became part of what was going on. Right. Because yeah, it becomes a creature that feeds on itself and has to continue. Right. Well, well and that's the thing is that like a lot of people say you should go out and, and demonstrate for what any, anything, you know, environmentalism or whatever. But, I, you know, I, I, 
you know, you know, good, good for them if they want to do it. But I, I would tell my two daughters that when they get older never to do it because all I you agree. need is one friggin' kook, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it could be on either side. It could even be an environmentalist who's the kook, you know, that you're if you're an environmentalist and you're supporting, you know, it's just not worth because mobs are dangerous things. It's better to write a letter to your congressman or senator than go out on the street and possibly get killed because all you have to do is be on the street in that environment. Exactly. And, and you yeah. only need the one person in the wrong spot at the wrong time to set um, everything off. Right. I mean, one of the things that doesn't get reported much, you know, the in the early days of the civil rights movement, you know, um, Martin Luther King and his followers, they would practice getting abused so that they knew not to respond and how to behave when they were attacked. Um, That's a very different thing than a 17 year old or an 18 year old who has who's bored and has nothing better to do. Just going out and protesting for whatever reason, whether they're protesting Cops or whether they're protesting the environment or because they're protesting masks, you know, whatever it is, or they're going to kidnap the frickin governor, whatever it is they're going to be doing. It doesn't take much for to have that one idiot. And then human behavior is so different. We take so many of our cues from what other human beings are doing around us. And when you start seeing other people doing things, you know, no, I, I'm going out on a limb here and saying that nobody here is going to walk into Best Buy pick up a TV and walk out of the store. But if you suddenly saw without paying, but if you saw a hundred people doing it, the temptation to do it would be much greater. Yeah. Because while they're all doing it, right. Unless, right, right. I mean, for someone like myself and I, and I'm probably, I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking for Kevin as well. And probably for both of you as well, Barrett and Mike, we wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it because I'd be thinking the same thing Kevin's thinking, which is I don't want to go to hell <laughs> yeah, because I, I kind of I'm a believer. And I'm pretty sure Barrett and you, Mike, well, I don't have your reasons, too, why you wouldn't do it, whether it's just that's stupid. I'm not a believer, but it would be wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So but you're right. A good number of people put it this way. Today, I, I did trivia at the bar um, right before this podcast, and I. My the waiter was slow, so I, I said, you know, I just gotta, well, we'll just pay cash. So I pay cash, and it was sticking out of the the thing, the the little, you know, book that you put the the receipt in. And then I went back to the table and stuffed it in. My and my buddy said, my neighbor who I, I go with, he goes, why, why did you do that? I go, because it's better to do that than have it stick out. Because even if you're not a thief, there's a chance that it's tempting. Yep. To take. I hand it directly to the person that helped us so that I avoid that because I can't stand. I I worry about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and again, most people probably wouldn't. And and a lot of good people probably wouldn't. But it's tempting. You just never know. And and so Mike has an excellent point, which is when the mob's doing it, even if you're not a person that would normally steal, you may do it. And and by doing it, and if someone wants to get involved, whether it's vigilantes or police or or anybody that just wants to stop you from doing it, you know, and then you in the center of it be trying to be stopped, who knows what you'll do, you know? I mean I mean we we've seen killings in the recent protests in the United States. I mean there was one just this this weekend where 
a guy got pushed. He he, he used beer, uh, beer mace on the guy that pushed him, and then the guy, wow. and then the guy that got the beer mace got beer maced by. He pulls out a gun and he blew the brains out of the guy that used the beer mace, and Oof. and. And he's now wow. his life. He's a thirty-year-old guy, and his his life is ruined forever. Never mind killing a forty-nine-year-old father. So it's just nuts. You know, if they weren't there in the first place, neither one would still be alive, and one is, wouldn't be first-degree murder. And you know, so it's just I don't know. But I, I like your point, Mike, about using the explaining about the Martin Luther King, where they. they prep themselves so they don't have yeah, that's accidents. great i didn't know that yeah they don't have accidents where you have some dumb 30 year old guy that just says you know what i'm bringing a gun to the rally i'm gonna and, oh this guy's he's not even it's not even mace it's 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 beer spray and and he still pulls out a gun and blows the guy's brains out and it's just like nuts oh uh, i think we've all everyone's been in that situation when your tempers flare up you yeah. say or do something you you normally would never would and Again, you just compound it when you put it into it. That's why I never want a gun on myself, because I don't know what I would do. (laughs) And, and, oh, I I, I always say that, you know, as a teacher, (laughs) when they talk about putting guns in classrooms, it's like, in theory, I'm not opposed to it necessarily, but don't give it to me, because I'm not making it to the end of the day. Right. (laughs) I mean, and that that would be my problem, because it it becomes so superfluous at some point that you don't think about what it's actually doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and all of this going back to the, the, the Tulsa massacre, Tulsa riots, whatever you want to call them. Um, yeah. And uh, that's a larger philosophical issue I don't want to get into yeah. here. So I'm not yeah. trying to settle it. I'm not trying to take a side. Uh, and yeah. I haven't really yeah. thought no, about it. We were it just enough. bringing up the talking points. But, talking yeah, but I mean, it doesn't justify what they did. But at the same time, I could also imagine there are people who caught themselves caught up in that. Yep. And did shit that they probably never would have thought that they were going to do. Oh, yeah. Uh, doesn't excuse what they did. Uh, and I don't know what really set it off, what led up to it. You know, a lot of times these things, when you look, there's other circumstances surrounding it. You know, it's, you know, uh, I, I'll think back, you know, to the Spike Lee movie, uh, Do the Right Thing, where, you know, it's on a, just a really hot summer day. And that's just enough to get people's nerves on edge. You know, you never know what it is in the world or in the environment or what's going on that has people's tempers flare. You know, and certainly I think, you over, know, right over now. St- over s- stupid things, which like like pictures on a wall, Italians versus black folk. Right. You know, so I mean, that's that's what that, that movie was all about. Right. Well, it brings up an interesting thing that I, I noticed in the movie or in the show where the bombs are dropping and I had to look it up because I just, I, you know, I had known about the Tulsa massacre, but I didn't know a lot about it. So I had to verify that. And, and actually supposedly they did drop bombs from one of the commissions that was done in 2000 or 2001. They said that there were bombs dropped. It was probably the only U S city that has ever had bombs dropped on it. Yeah. So um, basically what they what did was uh, they had crop dusters uh, only three years removed from the Red Baron in World War One. Yeah. So, so it wasn't fancy bombs. It, it was what you told me earlier today, Barrett, when we were talking on instant message. Um, probably uh, turpentine bombs, which are basically yeah. paint cans filled with 
that were basically giant Molotov cocktails, basically. Which explains the extent of the burning. Right. Yeah, and it just shows you how crazy it was. And I would like, I didn't further read on the subject, you know, because how long did the whole massacre last or, or riot or whatever you want to call it? Uh, incident, let's just call it an incident, last. Because to actually get into planes, you know, and, and Telsa does have a lot of farms, so you would think they would have a lot of crop, crop planes. But, you know, to actually drive over, to get in the plane, start the plane, because back in those days, you, you know, you had to spin the the propeller, yeah. all that crap. Yeah, and we're get in the plane and have the bombs bomb already bomb. built. Yeah, right? ready to turpentine bombs. <laughs> yes, right. the this bombs are already built. Yeah, this isn't exactly a spur of the moment thing that they were doing. Right. It was pre. It had to be premeditated. It had to be. Yeah. Oh yeah. But anyway, getting back to the show, um, I there's a couple things that that I as we were talking about, I was thinking about was. The, the situation with Letty in the house, I thought that was really good, you know, and when... Oh, yeah, we haven't even talked about Letty in when, the house. Right? You know, when she meets the... the oh, yeah. The, the, the old woman, yeah, the great-grandmother, you know, and the great... I mean, that was, that was a heart-wrenching scene, you know, but the thing is, like, the grandmother was pretty much, you know, saying, like, if, if you know, giving you this book, Sacrificing My Life Will Help My Future Generations, then okay... That was pretty much what she did, you know, and then, of course, Letty, because she was protected, you know, she can get through the whole thing. I'm kind of curious, you know, why the book or her dress didn't burn up. But Right, maybe, I was thinking that, too. I was thinking yeah, vulnerability I, must have an aura. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of what <laughs> magic. Well, remember, the well, world. Well, it's like, like magic those, is what magic does. It's uh, like right, those yeah. cheap, cheap Invisible Man films or Invisible Woman films where when someone takes a, the, the invisible stuff, their clothes and everything else disappears with them. And when they eat food, uh, that you don't see the food. In the man movie, I'll tell you that much. Um, he, he was naked when he was totally invisible. But, uh, yeah, but that's, why, that's why I said the, the cheap ones. I didn't. I wasn't specifically talking the, about HG The Mills thing is, though, so, I mean, you have that, which I thought was, I mean, was very touching moment. And then, um, what was I guess? Oh, then one thing at the end when they all, with, with the three of them finally get back, you know, to, to, to the 1950s, Hippolyta's hair turns blue, which I thought was kind of interesting because that was her comic that, I mean, when her daughter drew her as a comic book character, her hair was blue. So I'm just kind of wondering if there's anything related to that or not. Well, I think she, you remember she says to, to when she comes back, in this episode, she says, I can go anywhere and be anything I want. And I think when she saw that comic book in her episode, two seasons, two episodes ago, it moved her and it was from her daughter. And so I think she intentionally wanted to be, have the blue hair. She thought and said, I want the blue hair. So I don't think it meant anything more than that, but you were going to say something, Mike? Well, she, she has it in that episode. Um, when they, there's that moment where she's exploring the universe with George yeah, yeah, she's she, she is dressed as Orinthia Blue, and she's got the costume on, and she has the blue hair. Now, yeah. I don't know that she did it intentionally. Here, this is clearly a thing. She's in pain. Yeah, she's. I don't know if she was vomiting or drooling or foaming or what the hell was going on. She with was her. foaming at the mouth. I think it was almost like a seizure. Yeah. Um. But whatever reason, whatever it was that was physically going on with her, I think it just. Her hair changed. Right? It changed as a side effect of that. 
And, you know, that's going to go over really well in 1955. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will well, be curious to see the, how they handle the, the character. You, you got the old blue haired woman, Mike. You got the old hair blue woman. So maybe that's the can... wrong color blue. And she's well, not that old. That's true. <laughs> yeah, she, to be honest, she's probably younger than us, the actress. I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's yeah. That makes sense, Mike. Um, for for the hypo, I can't say the Greek name again, Mike. Uh, Lida. Just call her Lida. Lida. Yeah. There you go. Um, or D's mom. Lida. D's mom. D's mom. Hippolyta. Hippolyta, Hippolyta, that's it. There you go, you got it. Yeah, I should be good with that. Hippa, right, for, for our work, Barrett. And then I, I can't pronounce R, so pretend I'm saying lighter. Lighter, Hippolyta. It's not Hippa heavier, it's, it's Hippolyta. <laughs> yes, Hippolyta. Um, so, uh, yeah, that that whole scene at the house, that, I, I, I like that a lot, too. So. I was going to say it was my favorite scene, but but to be honest, uh, the George and Montrose, I mean Attica and Atticus and Montrose scene, watching Thomas get uh, in trouble or not in trouble, but but killed basically. Um, that I, I like that scene too. So so yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of solid scenes. I, I can't specifically pick a good scene because I think the Letitia stuff was as good as um, the Montrose slash Atticus stuff. Um, yeah, and I do think, you know, they played up, they played in well the whole pregnancy thing. I didn't like the idea of the storyline, right. but it is a thing that they can, that they kind of it's use just, yeah, to get the now. great-grandmother on, on her side, and it's the sort of thing that I think is very, very much a female thing. Right. Is the 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 pregnant women or the women who have been through pregnancy understanding and helping each other out and recognizing right. that. You well, know, and Christine, and, uh, go ahead, Michael, sir. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say Christine Stroh, our listener, who wrote that she was upset about the pregnancy incident, because obviously that is like, you know, makes the the woman not the action hero anymore because it's, uh oh, it's the typical woman in barefoot and pregnant type stuff that's been a stereotype. It actually turns out to be more than that. And again, Christine hadn't seen this episode yet uh, when she wrote us this email. Um, she'd only seen up to episode eight. The This scene here, episode nine, in this specific scene, it actually plays in perfectly with the entire story now because the pregnancy like you said is the future generation of Atticus family line right and 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 I think it's it plays more than than just getting the book from the great grandmother too you know it must have to play something in the next episode so I think it, it, it it's okay actually I don't know what, what yeah, do you I agree I like I like the way they yeah, worked I it agree. out I like the the way they finally just uh, pull the bandaid off with revealing that they know that she's pregnant. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Macho says, yeah, we, we, yeah, right. And then, yeah, they all knew. And she's like, oh, geez. Yeah. Continue, Mike. Sorry. Yeah, no, that was it. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So, yeah, that kind of worked. Um, also, uh, um, I actually also like the scene, even though it, 
press the button. I mean, it was too on the point. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, it, it was right, though. It was a good scene, which was when George, George, not George, um, Montrose as a child is getting beaten. I liked how when Montrose says, oh, I deserved it because I stole, you know, George's flower for the prom or whatever it was, and or vest. And Letitia says, no one deserves that for anything. And and she was right. And I liked that. And then I also kind of liked how Atticus' mom came, comes over and tells George, you don't speak up for your brother enough. And then I loved how Montrose said, that's a lie. The, the adult Montrose, well, you know, in the distance says to Atticus and Letitia, that's a lie. George most certainly did help me a lot. So, and, well, well it's interesting it's, since she doesn't say lie, she didn't wrong. He says she's wrong, not that she's lying. He says he says she's wrong. Right. Which is right. interesting well, since George didn't feel like he helped him enough either. Well, it's At also least, the, that's the sense I got. It's also the same thing Atticus said to George. Um, you know, yes, that's right. You know, because he said the same thing to George. He said, you know, where were you when I was getting my butt whooped? Mm-hmm. Yeah, from you didn't Montrose. step in for me, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, that's, that's mm-hmm. right. And, and there's a difference. See, see, when I could see George not doing it when he was a kid for Montrose because he's going to get his ass kicked too, and no one wants to get their ass kicked. But for George not to do anything for Atticus when he was a boy because they're both adults now, George and Montrose, he could have said, don't beat the kid. So yeah, I, I think I think um, that's an interesting, I guess, parallel because when you're a kid you can't do anything but as an adult George never st- stepped in to protect Atticus. Well, there's all, yeah. Right. As a kid, I mean, there's only a couple of years difference between uh, Montrose and and George. Right. So it's not like George was 18 and Montrose was five. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You're talking like a three or four year difference, I think, in their ages, maybe. At the same same time, though, my um, George kind of served as a refuge for Atticus because there's a lot of times where, you know, I mean, there's the time in, in this episode where where Montrose was sitting at the, at the table uh, where George did a lot of his work. And, he, you know, he said, you know, I hid underneath that, that table with, you know, in front of George, you know, after you whip my, you know, after you, you know, gave me a whooping, you know, pretty much what he's saying is, is, you know, George was always, you know, he says, I wish George was my father. And that's when he was saying, you know, I, he ran, he would run to George a lot, it sounds like he would run a George a lot when when he would get his you know when when Montrose would start you know really flailing on him and uh, George kind of became that that refuge. Yeah, that's true too. That's almost contradictory to yeah, from him saying, "Where were you?" Well, I mean, I think what he's saying is, "Where were you? Why didn't you prevent you know my dad beating the crap out of me in the first place?" Yeah, that's a fair point. And, and, and he's looking at it as an adult as opposed to the, you know, seven-year-old boy who was actually getting beat at the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair, too. Yeah. You know, he's he's a man now. He understands that 
you know, what would be if he was in that position, how he should behave, where maybe he didn't know how he was supposed to behave when he, you know, how a man is supposed to behave in that circumstance when he was a kid. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, that's fair too. That's fair too. Yeah. But either way, Atticus. Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, Atticus obviously has mixed feelings about both his father and his uncle, for for that matter, based off of that. But go on, Mike. I was gonna say, I also liked. um, I I just just on on a positive note, sort of uh, the uh, the the detail they put into this. I know we live in the age of CGI and a lot more is possible than would have been uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago in terms of recreating stuff. But in terms of the the costumes and the the hairstyles and the the, the cars and everything, just in terms of trying to capture that that era, I think they did a phenomenal job with that. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. I mean, obviously, this is a TV show compared to a movie and it also has stronger uh technology to do it but when they looked out the window of tulsa when you know they come through the portal and then they look out the window of whatever the room was the hotel or whatever it was they were in um and they look out and you see 1921 tulsa i felt that it was as good as as say for example in godfather 2 when we flash back to my um, Corleone. Uh, yeah, I forget the the Marlon Brando's character's first name. Vito. Uh, Vito. Vito. Vito Corleone. Oh. As a young man, when Robert De Niro plays him and Bruno Kirby's there and whatnot, and they show New York City in nineteen, you know, twenty something as well. And again, that was all done practically, which is, was amazing because you know they didn't have any computer graphics in nineteen seventy one when that film was made, but. It that stuff that we saw in Twenty One Tulsa, even though it was done more with computer graphics, you know, I mean, same with with you know Titanic, the film that James Cameron did in nineteen ninety whatever. Um, it was as good as Titanic period piece or Godfather seventy Godfather Part Two period piece, and so I, I think it was really good. And they merge both the practical stuff, which is like you said, the clothing, the hairstyles, and and trinkets and things like that, with the computer graphics. Uh, and we, we've talked many times how this show has been very sh- shaky with computer graphics. This episode here, with all the stuff they did for Tulsa in 1921, was fantastic for CGI. So I, I went. I was very bong-winded to say basically it was it was damn good. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> agree with me that I was long-winded, or agree that it was fantastic, or both? Both, both, <laughs> absolutely both. <laughs> yes. yes. Um. Yeah, and it was amazing. It was it was really really good. And um, when they did need the real cars of 1921, they actually had the production values to actually have them on set to use them. And then in the distance, they could do the CGI ones and they were look good enough. So I think they did really good. Yeah. Um, what else, Mike or Barrett or Kevin, Kevin, what do you got? What do you got? Are we, are we uh, nothing, kind of uh, nothing more comes to mind. All right. 
Uh, what about you, Barrett? You got anything more? Anything else you want that we haven't talked about that you wanted to bring up? Um, no, I don't think so. I think we've pretty much discussed the whole episode. Mike, what about yourself? The only other thing I'm thinking as I'm, I'm running through it in my head is going back earlier. I did like the fact that you got everybody at one point together in the same room because of D. <clears throat> all the yeah. main characters and the B characters in the same room and all the secrets are laid out, right? Everybody at this point knows just about everything about everyone else. Um, even if they don't know the details, like they know that Ruby is with Christina. They know yeah. that, 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 that light has been out playing, you know, cosplay with dead George, you know, um, in alternate realities. Yeah. You know, they all know who Tick is. They all know that Letty's pregnant. The only thing I don't know if everyone knows is that that Montrose is gay, because I don't know if that is something that kind of comes up in the middle of that conversation. <laughs> Just well, it, to be honest, it doesn't even matter because and it doesn't matter. First, that's a personal thing anyway. So he, there's no reason for that to be brought up. Right, but but this isn't like there's no Aunt Harriet being kept in the closet about Batman and Robin, right? There's none of that right. going on. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> you know, right. so everyone's in on the on on the on the gag. Everyone's in on the action. Um, there's no reason for anyone to sneak around. And well, we can't let we got to we got to tell Lyda that we're going here for this reason. When really, what we're doing is this. Like you had, you know, at the big back at the beginning. Which, by the way, was perfectly fine at the beginning of the season. I'm just so glad that all these characters, if for some reason the show does continue, and I do like these characters, you know, then there's reason to bring more of these char- these characters into the further adventures and have them fully involved as opposed to on, on the periphery. And I also do think Christina is still Christina. She's still trying to get what she wants to get, but I do think that maybe she learned something from that previous week episode where she is coming back to help. I don't think she was lying. I think she came to help D because she came to help D because Ruby wanted her to come and help D. I do too. Um, so even her character has grown a little bit. I don't know if she's yeah, going to oh, yeah, right. because there was... season. Right. Right. Well, her she's going to be playing a huge role in, in the f- season finale, though, right, Mike? Because obviously the, that's going to be the 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 spell thing that they're going, they're going to try to cast. Because again, she came back. She still came back for some reason, which is she needs Atticus to be at that spell, whatever you call it, the uh, Black Sabbath. I don't know what the hell you want to call it. And the, the autumnal equinox. Yep. Yeah, that's. Thank you. Yeah, that's it. That's it. The Equinox thing. So, so she's going to play a huge role in next episode. And I still am not, I'm, I, you know what? I'm more apt to lean that you're right, Mike. She isn't the true, truly a villain and she has learned. And and that doesn't mean, like you said, she, she could survive the season or not or, or series for that matter. But, she also still has some interior motives because, again, she's still made a deal, which is I'm helping, but I still want Atticus to come to the Equinox Sabbath type thing that I want to do. And he knows from what he heard from his ex-Korean girlfriend, that's where he's most likely going to die. So that's the setup for the season finale or, or series finale if if there is no – Season two. At least that's what I'm getting out of it. But I agree, Mike. Everything 
that you said where it's good that all the secrets are gone now uh, or important to the, the plot because Montrose, like you said, he, he's gay and maybe that's still a secret. But again, that that was more of a woke checkbox. I don't think it really mattered whether he's gay or not for the, the main storyline. So everything that was related directly to the story and important plot points to get to A to Z, I think, is now out on the table of all the characters. Right. There is one thing I wanted to mention that I wanted to reemphasize. This this episode, unlike the others, made me feel a lot more for the characters than I have so far through the whole series. There just were a lot of really good scenes that yeah. gave me, made me like some of the characters more, brought me into their world a little more through their, you know, facial reactions and just how they responded. And it, it just yeah. the rest of the episodes did not do that for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I was going to say, well, at least they're focusing on the main characters again. But again, they yep. did focus on the main characters in episode four and episode three. And those really did nothing for me when it came to me liking or disliking those characters much at all. Uh, but this one here, where they focus on the main characters again, it actually, yeah, I agree. It makes me like the characters more. Now, I, I actually now like Montrose as a character well before I was indifferent. And Letitia and Atticus, I mean, they almost kind of fell in the background for the past four episodes, it seemed, that I didn't even really care about them either. But again, I, I, I do like them now a lot. So, um, And it's turning out to be a three. If, if they... Well, actually... I can't say it's turning out to be, but the ending is going to focus on Atticus, Letitia, and Montrose, I think. But who knows? I mean, Hippolyta and Dee and... Well, she's kind of the deus ex machina, right? She's got the yeah. weird powers. We don't know what, how they'll pull her in. <laughs> right. Well, and, 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 you know, we talked about at the beginning of this episode of the podcast... Uh, the Korean girl, it, will she reappear? And again, she's a demon, right? Or, or succubus or, or the Kohimo or whatever it's called. So she has a lot of powers too. Yep. And will, will she reappear? And she, you know, so I don't know. I mean, the, she could be a wild card too, uh, you know, assuming they don't just let that plot drop without any further explanation. Um, anything else, Mike, you, you, ha you wanted to bring up? No, I'm good. I think we've we've exhausted this one. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. It's probably one of the best episodes or the best episode, and yet we had the least to talk about it, which is kind of funny. Well, which may be I a mean, good thing. You know, I, it means that it was it did what it had to do. What was that? Mike? I was going to say. I think the, the 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 series still for me is uh, what I like about doing the podcast. It still gives us things to talk about. We can argue about the. Quality. execution about the way they execute some of the stories and the timing of it that this story really fit should they have put that story in there i still think for the most part they have interesting ideas and they are broaching topics that are worth addressing um yeah you know this goes back though i mean there's always again that risk of when has become a story that's enlightening versus when has become a story that's finger wagging uh, or a story that's preaching. Um, and it's a very, very, very hard line sometimes to find. Um, 
as to which one it is. This one found that the line well. I mean, it did a good job on it, whereas I, it felt ham-handed in some of the other episodes. Well, I think part of it is it didn't have to explain it. Right? Yeah, in correct. other words, there was no exactly. aside to explain, to explain to the audience what this meant and what you know how bad the white people were for doing this because it was there it's it's obvious they allowed the actions of the rioters or the you know whatever you want to call them they allowed their actions to speak for it you didn't need any illumination there's no context that you need to justify it um we see it and we feel it through the characters and they didn't then recontextualize it in a, the larger grand scheme of things necessarily you know, yeah. it's, it's, because it's all going through Montrose, who is who is dealing with this as a personal experience. There is no moment like when in the last episode where Montrose talks about it, the the death of um, Emmett Till as as Emmett a Till. as a as a rite of passage for being a black person in America. You know, he, he, you know, he, he he here he's just talking about the people he knew. And like when you mentioned someone like uh, Commodore Knox was the last person we think to die uh, from this, um, you know, talking about uh, these different characters. These were all real people or mostly real people um, from from what little research I did by researching people who did better research than I ever could. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not taking credit here. So, so these are, but it's telling the story through the eyes of a person who's lived through it. Right. You know, and that and that's a little bit of a different thing than trying to give you the historical perspective of it. Right. Well, and 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 also, even though it deviates completely from the book, as Kevin told me offline earlier today, for the TV series itself, it fits in with the main plot. It's not just these side stories that are unnecessary. You know, I mean, like like the Korean story was unnecessary. The, the haunted house story was unnecessary. The, the Indiana Jones was unnecessary. Uh, part of D's story and Hippolyta's story could have been trimmed big time to get to this episode. So this episode fit perfectly and was well t- uh, edited. Well, if not well edited, well um, timed, I guess, or or. It flowed, I guess, is the word I'm looking yeah, for. That, that, to yeah. me, that's good editing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it was good editing. So, yeah, you know, and 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 besides all that, it fit with what was important to the main storyline. It, it it wasn't unnecessary rubbish. And as viewers, it brought us to the characters that we started with <laughs> and really yeah. wanted to see. Yeah. Well, and and also, I mean. To compare this series with three other series that uh, I've watched recently, and, and I, I think um, I, know, I know Barrett, you've seen all three, and Kevin, you've seen all three, and Mike's seen at least w- one of them. But uh, like I mentioned, the French show Vampires, six episodes, uh, Discovery of Witches, eight episodes, and Black Summer, eight episodes, and none of them really drag as a one season so far you know there was no stuff that kind of was unnecessary to where they were going or what they were trying to say in any of those three series while this one unfortunately as we discussed you know we 
they could have shrunk this one down to the same length of the French vampire show called Vampires to six, and maybe it would have been better. You know, I mean, it's it's just interesting how I out of the four series and 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 the boys was another one that I saw only the first season so far. I'm about to start the second, um, and all those series were were done way better than this show even if this show does have some parts to it that may be good and it just makes me wonder um i don't know what i'm trying to say except that you know you see a flash uh, that's really good like in this episode and then you just look back at the last eight episodes at least for me i know you guys aren't as harsh as me and i just roll my eyes and shake my head and yet, when I watched *The Discovery of Witches*, *Black Summer*, season one of *The Boys*, and *Vampires*, I had no issues at all with any of those. Well, I don't and, know about I don't know about *Discovery of Witches*, but I know *The Boys* is by uh, is by Eric Kripke, who ran *Supernatural* for its first five years. Right. Um, and um, *Black Summer* is run by a guy who 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 has a lot of experience on television. And who had already been, uh, I don't know if he was a showrunner, but he was involved in, uh, uh, not Zombieland, Z Nation. Nation. Right. So these are people who have experience running shows. Um, And, you know, can maybe avoid, have learned to avoid some of the pitfalls that others haven't. And and this is, I'm pretty sure, Misha Green's first attempt at at being a showrunner. And so maybe she's having her own kind of growing pains. And again, reading so what the hell do I know but um, you know, be that as it may you know for me it's it's a lot of it is, is really on the technical side you know it's um, oh, and the screen, are you wasting and the screenwriting time? too the screenwriting yeah but that's part of it is coming up with you know with flow right with uh, does have you properly streamlined the stories right does it does it make sense um for where your characters are at the moment, does it tie into the other things that you're doing with the characters? You know, and so all of that has to do with, to me, more big vision things than moment to moment things, um, and how they plotted it out to begin with. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, yeah. We, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I mean you know, again, there's a. Uh, um, even if if the next episode is really good, I don't I don't think you know the last two episodes save an entire season at least for me. But at least it won't leave me with a bad taste. But again, we won't know until next week, so we'll we'll see what happens. But exactly. but it will allow somebody who wants to. You can tell them, you know what you can just you can just skip over this episode. You could at the very least yeah. skip over the yeah. Korean episode. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, and you can fast forward anything in the Ruby episode that has nothing to do with Ruby. You know, because the whole Montrose stuff in that episode was unnecessary, and all the tick stuff was was really not necessary too in that episode. And um, I, actually, you know, so I don't know, it's just, just just curious. I, actually, you probably could have skipped that whole episode, but the Ruby part was was actually pretty pretty. Well, enjoyable. the Ruby part's necessary because that the whole her relationship with Christina obviously factors in big in the yeah uh, in the last half. That's right. That's a good point. Yeah. And in yep. fact, that's probably the most important thing that is that, uh, that well, except maybe uh, 
Well, no, that's not true. I was going to say that. I mean, because what happens to her, what happens to to Letty, what happens to D, all are very significant in the story. But notice none of it is about what happens to Tick and Montrose and. Uh, uh, right. Yeah. And, and Letitia. Well, well they, I mean, I mean, even not D, Lady, Letty, uh, Lida. Anyway, but even, even D's story, they could have just had her, you know get hit by a car and say, Oh my God, we have to save her. But you know, they, they did the 30 minutes of her being chased throughout the city. It made it supernatural, but you know, and some people liked that because they thought the, the two ghosts that were chasing her or demons, whatever you want to call them, were, were, were creepy. But again, you know, they could have just had her get hit by a car on her deathbed and they need the witch or Christina to come and try to save her, you know? And so a lot of stuff was, was, was not necessarily unnecessary, but could could have been, I guess, cut down a bit and stuff. But yeah, either way, yeah, no big deal. I mean, we, we've gone over all that stuff before. Um, all right, so uh, next week uh, we got a new episode, uh, season finale. Uh, that one's called Full Circle, uh, written by Misha Green, uh, uh, based off a. Of, uh, and it gets an extra credit here. A story by Misha Green and Ihuoma Ofudaya. And uh, Nelson McCormick is director. Uh, has done a lot of TV. Uh, New York PD Blue, Alias, House, Third Watch, Prison Break, 24, The Closer. So yeah, Nip and Tuck, Nip Tuck, West Wing. So yeah, she's done uh, Daredevil. So she's, uh, he, she, I'm sorry. He, Nelson McCormick, has done a lot of Big name television shows has directed um, various episodes of those TV shows. Uh, he also directed Prom Night, the remake, the 2008 remake, and the Stepfather, the 2000 remake of that as well. Um, yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that will be October 18th, 2020. Um, and uh, we will be back <clears throat> next week to talk about that. Um, I'm assuming we'll probably just make that the last episode of this season of the podcast, assuming this is the only, this is season one, uh, unless you guys want to do a wrap up episode. I don't know if we want to. I, I don't think it's necessary. I think we've been talking about the, the series as a whole with every episode. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's fair. Yeah. And usually a lot of those wrap up episodes are also what we think is going to happen next year, you know, and, and again, this isn't like Westworld or, um, Game of Thrones, which you knew there's going to be seasons in the future. Uh, so yeah, that's a fair point. So so next week will be our last episode of a travel guide to Lovecraft Country, the podcast for season one. Um, so hopefully you guys can come back then. Uh, so let's give our final thoughts once more on this episode. Uh, we'll start with you, Kevin. We haven't heard from you in a bit. You've been kind of quiet. Um. Uh- like I, I don't really have much else to say that I haven't said in the beginning. This is a good one. Um, there are some questions that were answered, uh, mysteries that were solved, and it was this one was well done. That's that's all I could say. And it's kind of curious on how they're going to end end the show. Yep. Uh, what about you, Barrett? 
Um, I really like this episode. I think I might even put it at number one of the season. Um, it's hampered by what has come before it. That's the only unfortunate part. Um, but yeah, I really like this episode. I thought it was really well done. All right. Um, uh, myself, uh, yeah, I, I, I liked it a lot. Um, I think this is probably the, my favorite episode of the season. Uh, I haven't been a fan of any of the nine other episodes, to be honest. Uh, again, I've been more harsh than, than my co-host. Uh, but this one, uh, I, I did like a lot. Uh, and a thumbs up. Mike? Yeah, I think this is one of the two best episodes of the season, the other one being number one. Um, just a shame that, you know, what's kind of bookending a lot of mediocrity in between um, or something very uneven in between. Um, but in the end, they, they are kind of pulling together a lot of disparate threads, um, not all of them, but most of them in a way that I've found um, emotionally satisfying and important. Uh, I still fundamentally, the problem I'm going to have with next week is I really don't care about the Christina storyline and the whole book of Adam thing. It, it, it really, it really doesn't interest me how that gets resolved because I don't think they're killing takeoff. Um, right. Unless, unless they really go true Lovecraftian. Yeah, I wish they could, but they're not. Um, I don't, I don't see them doing it and they can surprise me. I do expect that. Um, but it's, it, it is very much, that's the McGuffin, McGuffin plot. The, the thing that's been driving us all along. And I have really, not been that all interested in the quest for the book. So um, I was sort of, I'm more, much more interested in seeing this because it was co- completely coming from the characters and because it was done specifically to save D, who I like as a character. Um, so I, I will be curious to see how well ex- they execute next week and how well they put things together and whether or not those last few things that we have mentioned that they haven't touched on, whether any of that gets pulled into that last episode. All right, very good. Uh, so once again, uh, you can find us at uh, darkdiscussions.com. And uh, actually, I'll let Mike talk all about that. So, uh, Mike, why don't you leave us up? All right, well, thank you once again for listening to uh, Travel Guide to Lovecraft Country. Uh, if you enjoy listening to this episode, you can find uh, all the other episodes on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and any place else that uh podcasts are sold you can also find anything else from the dark discussions network including dark discussions our parent podcast uh cinema a la carte uh you know nothing and john snow uh, you know nothing john snow a game of thrones podcast bullets brothels and bots a Westworld podcast searching for american gods american gods podcast hollywood uh, not hollywood halloween hollow halloween <laughs> halloween <laughs> psychotronic <laughs> reviews um and and uh Fishnets and Phantoms and a whole bunch of other spinoff podcasts are all coming uh, down the board and more being added every day that you can listen to all free of charge anytime you like. And hopefully all that will get you over the next seven days when you can listen to us come back for the season finale and possibly the series finale of a travel guide to Lovecraft Country. Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? On that day, I run to the rock. Please hide me, I run to the rock.